Saturday. It's January 21st, 2023, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker in London. And I'm Michael Haney in New York City. And we are two of your airmail editors who are here to discover what happens when dreams really do come true. So it sounds like Jiminy Craig. What did I miss? I just figured it out. I just figured it out. Ashley, Ashley has just gotten everyone. She has just gotten Christmas in January, right? That's what you're talking about. If you keep wishing hard enough, Michael, good things eventually happen. And today we have the one and only Anna Delvey, our longtime obsession on the show to talk about, I don't really know what, we're going to get there very soon. We might as well get to it because we have a great show for you today. First, if you're sitting here in this new year feeling like the last couple years have left you feeling like you've been hit by a truck, you are in luck because the always enlightening Linda Wells is here with some tips on how to look better and feel younger in 2023. Then, if you live in Los Angeles, you're probably familiar with a restaurant hotspot called Jelena. Well, it recently opened its first New York outpost and Christine Mulcahy has tried it and will stop by to tell us if it was worth the wait. And finally, as Ashley has said, we have a guest she's been dying to interview for the longest time, Anna Delvey, or as some of you may know her, Anna Sorokin. Now, if you've been living under a rock, she's the convicted Russian-born German fraudster who conned her way into the heights of New York's social scene and defrauded a number of wealthy victims and later saw her life dramatized in the show Inventing Anna. She will, as Ashley said, join us from her apartment where she's currently under house arrest from U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement as she waits here on whether she'll be allowed to remain in the country. Ashley, it really is Christmas in January. Where do you want to begin on this wonderful Saturday? I think we need to start with Anna Delvey. I have way too many questions for her. Why don't we get into your your good friend, Anna, who... She is not my good friend, okay? Michael, I just obsess over her from afar. This is our first time speaking with Anna Delvey, a notorious New York character that makes the city so great and also so crazy. And we're happy to have her here. She's answered the perfect ending questionnaire in airmail this week. So if you want to know all about her favorite things, you can read about them there. And in the meantime, here she is, Anna Delvey, live from House Arrest. Okay, Anna, you have one of the greatest perfect ending questionnaires of all time in airmail. And what I love about it is that you do not take yourself too seriously and you're very tongue in cheek about all of this. You know, your story, your infamy, your current situation on house arrest at your home in New York City. But tell us, how seriously do you take all of this? Like, how are you doing on a day to day basis? How are you feeling about everything? But it seems like you've managed to brush this off. But like you were in prison for four years. I mean, it's hard to just kind of like summarize it in one sentence. I guess just kind of like being humorous about it is my way with dealing with things because like I've been through what I've been through. Like in the end, I didn't kill anybody. Like my whole restitution is paid off. So just like I'm just trying to move on. And like none of that is that awful. What is next for you? I mean, tell us, what is your legal situation like right now? You don't have to explain it in detail, but it seems like from the reports I read, you're under house arrest indefinitely. Is that correct? As long as my immigration case is pending. So I have a whole team working on that. So you kind of never know. Something always keeps happening. So I don't know. I guess what's surprising to me is like how people are quick to say, oh, she's making a joke of house arrest. But it's like nobody is asking why should should I be on house arrest to begin with for <laughs> for an ICE? Like, can you show me another person who is on house arrest? 
because of ICE. Just like Sam Bankman-Fried is on house arrest and he's facing life in prison. (laughs) I'm not facing anything at all. It's just, I don't know. Let's see what's going to happen. Like with immigration, so criminal is different because there you get a sentence, it runs out, like it's predictable. With immigration, it's just like, I don't know, you get a decision and that's what it is. (laughs) There is no expiration date. It can be like months or years, who knows. Why do you want to stay in New York? I feel like I kind of spend the most of my adult life here. I just have so much going on in here. I feel like I have such connection to the city and I feel like I should be given an opportunity to bring this to the end. Like my criminal case is still not final. My appeal is still pending. And yeah, why? Why should I just like be banned from a whole country? It just makes no sense for like a nonviolent crime where I served my time and I repaid the restitution. It's like, what else can I do? It's like We have so many questions for you. We obviously devoured Inventing Anna. I'd love to know what you thought of it. I never watched it. <laughs> still didn't still have it so i saw a couple of clips maybe like half an hour of a total while i was still in jail i had like a facetime app and i watched it with two of the reporters that have been covering me for a while they wanted to like show it to me just to get my reaction and that was kind of enough for me and like obviously i had like a stumble upon all the clips and memes online so i don't know i feel like i know the story so and it's kind of like cringe to watch like maybe later on (laughs) i don't know i just like never really i don't even have a netflix account so does it take you back to a sort of painful period in your life your story like yes it's painful in many ways no doubt to you but you've clearly there's an audience out there who just can't resist eating up every detail of your experience because it captured such a time in new york city like as you look back on it how do you think that you and your experience are emblematic of this particular period of the city and its history i guess like Some of the things changed and maybe it's for the better because the 2010s was the time where the whole fake it till you make it was glorified and just kind of like get it down by any means necessary. Like even just when you look back at certain articles, especially like in like in tech industry, it's a composed way pervasive. It's like, I'll do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter. Deal with with the consequences later. And I guess when you're younger, you like can, like younger people are more impressionable. So it's kind of harder to discern what's a good idea and what isn't. So, I mean, my intentions were never bad and nobody can tell me that they were. So I'm the one who has to live with myself. So I feel like people who are smart enough, they understand and whoever just feels like they need to like vilify me or like, (laughs) I don't know, they just need to get a life and focus on their own thing. A lot of your friends came and spoke out against you. Who has really stuck with you and stayed by you and been loyal to you through this ordeal? Who are the friends? The ones that spoke out against you? Yeah. Oh, I'm just talking about someone wrote a book about you and a lot of people talked to the press and the New York Magazine story. Like a lot of people went on the record and were kind of instrumental in the criminal case against you. So I was just wondering like who the people were that stuck by you over the years and like your friends that you're relying on now, like, and what have those friendships meant to you? I mean, all my crimes are against financial institutions. The only person that was involved in my case is Rachel Williams and I got acquitted of that count. And everybody else, I guess, who went on record, a lot of the people like they never even met me in person or they just like were clout chasing. Like I literally, like some of the interactions I've had with some of the people who I saw being quoted in a media literally only had like phone calls with them i still have a lot of friends and still the same people i don't know (laughs) it's like not everything is the same as being portrayed in a media like obviously people who were like close to me they're not going to talk to the media because i I wouldn't i wouldn't i would have done the same had it been them 
in this situation. So I don't know. I never really had like any issues making friends. I guess just because the whole narrative, like the media likes to pitch women against each other. And like even with Rachel, they kind of like encourage her to play this victim. And she just got like so far in it. It's just like she has to be like this huge victim pretty much. I don't know. Like a lot of my lawyers are telling me like she would have, she might have like won her count had she not said like, I'm just the worst thing that ever happened to her and like cried. Yeah. Just like whatever happened, happened. It was not that awful. It was never my intention to put her in this position. And like, I came back to New York. I gave her some of the money back, but it's like, yeah, I guess the jury sold for that. Your story went from being something that we obsessed over here in the New York media to becoming really an international fixation. People were obsessed with you, your clothes, what you wore to court, what you said, the way that you acted, the universe that you lived in. So I don't know. I never asked for any of this because it's like, I don't know. I never like really sought fame necessarily, even though people keep saying that. But I always like ask them, it's like how many people who founded like any kind of art foundations do you know like this is not really path to fame (laughs) even in like in the best case scenario so I'm just I was kind of like always dealing with it from the damage control standpoint because something will be written regardless so yeah I don't know just kind of trying to make the best out of it not let the negatives affect me too much and just kind of trying to turn the attention into something positive hopefully It's like just working around the restrictions. Yeah, I've been like working on all kinds of restrictions for the past couple of years. And yeah, I don't know. I can't even imagine like what a life of complete freedom is like, because it's just (laughs) literally unfathomable to me. Anna, everyone in New York at some point in in your life, you're with a group of friends and then someone in the friends, I don't know. I think so-and-so might be a grifter or they might be a con artist. Maybe I'm being taken advantage of. So I'm just asking you, if you were going to tell someone, here's something you should watch for if you think someone is deceiving you or that you think they are someone who is, what would be a sign that they would watch for? I don't even know. I never considered myself like a con expert, but I don't know. It's just kind of like it comes with the time, I guess. Like with the more people you meet and the more people you interact with. I don't know. Some people just are like pathological liars. I guess you just question somebody's modest or like why a person would do what they're doing and that's usually assuming the person is like following kind of like the, <laughs> the same moral standards and compass and kind of like because the worst people to deal with other people who are like kind of like insane <laughs> because you just never know they just like do things for no reason but i don't know just like question somebody's motives anna what's next for you what do you want i am just trying to figure out what i want to do next and obviously i'm hoping to get off house arrest soon because it's like it was kind of like a novelty when i just got out of jail and it was definitely an upgrade but now just having like to sit in this apartment all day long is pretty depressing at times so kind of like the the freshness of it just just wearing off pretty quickly so i'm just trying to see what's next yeah it just really depends how much freedom i will have what are you going to do on your first day of total freedom god i'll probably go out and have a dinner (laughs) like go to a grocery store i don't know (laughs) Like, I still, I'm able to, like, I walk to my ICE appointments and I drive to Brooklyn for my criminal parole, but otherwise, and like, I'm allowed to leave for medical purposes. So it's like, I 
do walk like every week I walk downtown so it's not like I just sit here all day every day I don't know we'll see when it happens yeah just definitely go for dinner such a different experience than having a takeout and how are you passing the time can you share like any books that you're reading or television shows that you're loving at the moment I am actually like writing my diary and I just have so many things I'm working on I barely had any time to watch any shows I'm catching up on billions and house of cards I switched it up, but I just started. I literally like only watched maybe five, six episodes of each over the last 90 days. I have a lot going on. I have like a lot of people coming over and I'm working on my own podcast, like my dinner series, designing my line of like merch, something like light to begin with. Yeah. And I'm still working on my art too. Is your Grubhub bill like just extraordinary? I'm using like DoorDash and Caviar and like Uber Eats. Yeah, I mean, it's insane that I'm being forced to order everything. And and like, I'm just lucky. I have like a whole team. I have manager and accountants. They're just like, they're making sure everything is kind of like on track and being taken care of. I don't even know how I would be able to survive, like, was I not, like, who I am, because it's really punishing. Like, even when you're on criminal house arrest, you're still allowed to leave to, like, see your lawyers and get groceries. Not me. They expect for everyone to come to me. But New York, I guess, is one of the best places to be on house arrest because you can literally get anything delivered. That's true. Why do you think they went to such extreme measures, as you said, like, to keep you contained? Do you think they're that afraid that you're going to fly? Or when you look at other people, why do you think that they've taken such an extreme measure with you? God, I don't know. They don't really like explain why they do what they do. So it's a good question for ICE that will never, that they will never answer. It's just the judge. It's like, it's not even ICE. It's just the judge's order and they have to follow it. I guess because we kind of made it hard for them to deny my bail because there's really no reasons I should remain incarcerated. And I don't know, I guess they just like maybe try to make it as easy for you to like violate the conditions and like put you back in jail. And so they're able to say how lawless I am and like that I cannot follow any rules. Maybe that's some of it. I mean, another another part of it is like also, I guess my case is like all over the media. And I don't know, it's like still I have a felony I'm white maybe they're kind of like like aware of the optics of it because like to the general public does not really know much about immigration law and like and I don't blame them like so many of my American friends they just have no idea because they just never had any need to so it's like when you're not exposed to it like why would you care about it they just compare me to like other people who are like trying to stay or trying to come in and they don't have any criminal history so I guess there's some of it and it's, it's, like, it's very complex. I think just immigration is one of the most political branches of the government that's out there. Like it's being very strongly affected by politics. You mentioned earlier that you have friends coming over. Are you able to have conjugal visits, as it were? Conjugal visits? I can't have any visitors. Are you on dating apps and stuff? Are you getting people to meet up with you or is it just... No, I'm not on apps. No, not into dating apps. Okay. It's just hard to meet people. That's why I was wondering. I'm glad you're at least getting... You do get social interaction. Yeah, well, I'm like in this village and I have a ton of friends, so... <laughs> It's actually, I wouldn't want to hate well being on house arrest because I'm just kind of here all the time. And it's just, it gets awkward sometimes when it's just like, it's hard to like get people to leave. <laughs> you said it's awkward when you try to get people to leave? I mean, yeah, right. It's like, you know, when you're somewhere, like you can go home, but you can't really go home without holding home. So it's hard to like remove yourself from a situation where like there's nowhere 
to go. It's like the party's over. It's time for you guys to go, but you can't leave. Right. Yes. It's kind of like the first time that I was like, having this amount of people at my own place because I used to like live in hotels pretty much for the majority of my life. So, and I was never like hosting this heavily the way I do now, but it's okay. There are worse problems to have. <laughs> Well, Anna, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. After long last, we've followed you from afar for so long, and it's really wonderful to hear in your own words a little bit about your life. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you so much. Well, we'll speak soon. And thank you so much for having me. Yes. And welcome to the world of podcasting. (laughs) Thank you. I'll let you guys know once it launches. I just want to quote your best piece of advice in the questionnaire this week, your favorite piece of advice, which is do you and try not to incriminate yourself while you're at it, which I think is... (laughs) Pretty good advice for everyone. (laughs) I mean, aren't we all like just like one bad decision away from jail? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Anna. Wishing you the best. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Michael, was it everything you hoped it would be and more? (laughs) I was going to start with you, but yeah. Was it good for you? be lying if I didn't say it's kind of seductive how you just the voice and the whole thing right it's an allure that has appealed to many okay speaking of allure we have to move on to Linda Wells she is our beauty and wellness editor here at Airmail she was also the founding editor of Allure magazine how's that for a transition and she held that role for 25 years so when it comes to beauty and wellness she knows everything there is to know about it and today she's going to talk to us about how not to look old and bonus it doesn't require a trip to the plastic surgeon these are simply behavior modifications as the experts would say And Linda's here to give us this scoop. Welcome, Linda. Linda, so this was such a welcome story to read. Explain to us your theory. So my theory is that why should you try to look younger and go through all this effort, plastic surgery, who wants to do that really? Instead, why don't you just go to a place where you actually are younger by comparison? It's all context. So even the term younger, it's a relative term. So go to the opera. And it occurred to me when I went to the opera that I felt so sprightly and fantastic. So this was my thinking behind the whole concept is rather than change yourself, change your environment. Or I think as you so succinctly put it, you're pro-aging, but anti-looking it, right? Right. I mean, because who can really be anti-aging? That's like saying, I'd rather die than get a wrinkle. It doesn't make sense. So I just would rather not look old. And one of the ways you can avoid looking old is being in a room with people who are older than you are. It's like the reverse of cocoon or something. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Or something. (laughs) Yeah. It's the reverse of what everyone's doing in the dermatologist's office. Yeah. Or it's like we're all Benjamin Button. I don't know. There's something in there somewhere, but it's, I love it. In a way, what you're saying, what's really crazy is I found this study that said that everybody thinks they look younger than their actual age. So you can just imagine that everybody at your college reunion is looking at everyone else and thinking, I look younger than they do, but which is, of course, physically and factually impossible. But I love the fact that there's something built in us that is very life affirming and very positive that we all think we look young or at least younger than we are. I love this, Linda, because I think it's you mentioned your mutual friend, Karine Reitfeld, and obviously she has the benefit of being French and it's a whole different sort of thing there, but with that French attitude as well, right? Which is embrace the aging and isn't it like being older is cool now. And that's how I feel when I look around the world, right? Yeah, but you're young. So it sort of depends on your point of view. I'm 87. 
<laughs> well, you're really good. You've been doing a lot of great things. No, I think that you're right. I think that people who kind of accept their age and are not timid about it and are not hiding away and who take good care of themselves and are out in the world and really engaging, it's really respected. And you look at Kareen Royfeld. I mean, she's absolutely beautiful, always has been, and proudly wears her age. She's not pretending she's someone she isn't. And she was the one who told me that she stays at the Carlisle Hotel because it makes her feel young, which I thought was hilarious because it's because a lot of people who stay at the Carlisle are not that young. And also the Upper East Side is a great place to live if you want to feel young because a lot of old people live in the Upper East Side. Got me thinking about all the different things that you can do to put yourself in a situation where you may be younger than some of the other people in the room, although everyone thinks they're younger than they are. You want to feel good about yourself? And this is my thing this week. Did you see the video of Madonna announcing her new tour? (laughs) Yeah, that's not a good example. (laughs) She's done a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot going on there. And I have all respect for Madonna, but wow, it's a lot to take in. That's a lot going on in the TikTok world with Madonna. So, and good for her. She's going out in the world and she's being Madonna, but I think there are other ways to go about it. Yeah. And I mean, I love the fact that Madonna and Cher have these very young boyfriends or Madonna did until recently, if we are to believe what we believe in the New York Post, why not? And I feel like what could be worse than having a really young partner? You'd feel so old. You'd be like, remember when Nixon and they'd be look at you completely puzzled. And, and not that you talk about Nixon that much, but it would be so disturbing. There'd be no link. It'd be like, remember the song. And it they'd look at you completely as if you're, you've got two heads. Okay, Linda, roundtable question. Where and when and with whom do you feel your youngest? Mm, well, I feel very young. I feel young at the opera. And if I could take, I mean, I also feel very young in Harry Cipriani on Fifth Avenue. Have you ever been there for lunch? That's really great. Have you been to Stresa in Paris? I went to a spa once and took aqua aerobics and I felt so great. It was a really good workout and I was the youngest one in the pool. Linda, you're always enchanting and beguiling and you prove to all of us that it's not about what what you look like. It's truly what you feel like. And it always radiates from within the wonderful Linda Wells. So thank you for being here and reminding us that it, you don't need to spend a lot of money to seem to sort of like find the joy in everyday life, right? Well, yes. And it is somewhat what you look like. We all want to look our best. I am the beauty and wellness columnist. So I do believe it's nice to look your best. I'm not saying it's all, everything is all within. I think that's sort of unrealistic, but I do think that the way you hold yourself, the confidence that you carry in yourself and the happiness that you have in being engaged and out in the world. And certainly we have plenty of examples of that. So that's my beauty tip of the day. Wonderful. Well, Linda, thank you for being here. We're looking forward to our next tip and insights from you. So thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Okay, I'm into this, Michael. Yeah. And you know what else? I'm eating well makes you feel good. I'm interested to hear what... Christine Mulkey says about this new restaurant, Jelena, because I know, for instance, Jensen Davis and other people on our staff who are from LA, they've all been raving about this place forever. It's been rumored to come to New York for six, seven years now, and now it's here. So I want to know if I go there, is it going to make me feel good? What do you think? We shall see. Christine is here to tell us all about it. She is an editor who specializes in the culinary world. She is a veteran of the New York Times food section, as well as Bon Appetit. She has authored many books about food, and she waited in line at Jelena just to give us this report, and we are very grateful. Welcome, Christine. 
The last time we had you on here, we were talking about cookbooks. Now, you poor thing, in the middle of January, you have spent hours waiting in line at Jelena on Bond Street, just so you could write about it for airmail. Tell us, first of all, what's the story of this restaurant in Venice? Sure. I mean, it's been open in Venice since 2008. It was Fran Kamaj, Shelley Armistead, and the chef Travis Lett. And it just became one of those runaway successes, right? It's just been kind of on this amazing glide path for a long time. And their thing is they do sort of Mediterranean-ish, Italian-ish food through the lens of California produce, which we know is the most beautiful lens. We should all be seen through the lens of California produce, right? And it's just been this runaway success. And then they added Justa and all these other things. And it's really become a cult. So when it was announced seven years ago that they were going to be opening on Bond Street with, at the time, the partners Ken Friedman and April Bloomfield, then of the Spotted Pig and other things some of us may have forgotten, it was a huge deal. And then it just never arrived. It became this kind of waiting for Godot of restaurants. And it finally opened on December 30th or 31st. So that's why everyone's in line. And first of all, like you have known this restaurant for a long time. You have all your favorites on the menu. Why, how do you explain its success in Venice? And, and do you think that that kind of concept works in New York? It's hard to say. I mean, it's funny because when we think, when we stereotype Angelinos, we think they're super healthy and they're really eating light. It's not a light menu and there's a lot of oil and butter and sub recipes and things going on in this food. It's it's not just figs on a plate, as David Chang would say of Alice Waters food. It's It's really restaurant food. But I think it's just, it's because it is so well-made. It's so delicious and it really hits all the spots. I mean, it's big flavors. It's not shy food. There's a lot of chilies and anchovies and batarga. It's like (laughs) killing you with flavor. And I think people really respond to that. And they actually really like big food. And will it translate here? Of course it will. Good food is good food. and, And we need that. The sad thing is we don't have the same access to produce, obviously. So while they're already getting into strawberries, we're having Asian pear and kohlrabi salads on the menu, which isn't a terrible thing. From your report, the people watching seems almost as delicious as the cuisine. What is the crowd like? I mean, do you really even need to eat the food? Just sit in the vestibule. It smells like hinoki. It's like you're in this Japanese spa and everybody walking by has sort of like better sneakers than the last or like doing really great things with baggy pants and multiple scarves and sweaters. And the eavesdropping, of course, is amazing. It's worth the wait, I would say. So did you see a lot of California expats there who sort of like have now found their spot to come? Typically what would happen is one person comes and they put in their name in the vestibule. Like they go in and then they put in their name and then they're told very nicely. And the thing that's so sweet is they're so nice. I mean, I was there in what, week one, week two. So everybody's on their best behavior. It really hasn't evolved into true New York yet. And then they stand in line and the first person will wait And then they're usually familiar with it. And then when the person arrives, they explain the whole restaurant to them, right? So obviously it's sort of people who've been then bringing in the New Yorkers. And then there are the people who've read about it and, of course, have their hit list. It's really great people watching. And it's even better eavesdropping, I would say, because everybody there is sort of in an interesting position. There are fashion editors or photographers. I'm sure the actors who go to the Venice location will be coming soon. And then there are food people and nobody thinks anyone else can hear them in the vestibule. So it's a strong recommend. What's the craziest thing you overheard? Because I think like you clearly had your ears pricked up. So just tell us one thing that like, I can't believe someone just said that. Oh my gosh. Somebody talked about how much they just spent at the Goop store down the street. 
is that good or bad? It doesn't matter. That's what we expected. I will say I was looking for the telltale sort of Jelena Justa look, which is like the wide brim hat and the sort of like linen, flowy, indigo, silk screens, that none of that was happening. It was pure New York. That's a little hard to pull off in January. If you want to be the channeling Joni Mitchell circa 1971, it's a little chilly for that unless put. You know, Michael Barney is doing Uniqlo Heat Tech collab right now. So you can just layer. This is why we have you because you've got all angles covered. <laughs> I wore leg warmers okay. to wait in line. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Okay, my last question is, you have cooked from the Jelena cookbook, which is a thing in its own right. For those who are not able to get to New York or Venice, do you recommend the cookbook as a close substitute? Yes, it will give you produce envy, but there are great workarounds. You just have to have the patience for some of the sub recipes. But the recipes that I make from Jelena are things that I make for kind of every dinner party because they are that good. Once you have the tub of shallot confit, the tub of garlic confit, and the tub of tomato confit in your freezer. You're good to go. All right. We're coming over to yours for dinner. That's just like a world that it's like getting nuclear fusion in your home on your own. Then you're good to go. I just like. But Michael fusion's right around the corner, right? I mean, it'll only be 45 years. I think you're set. As is a tub of confit in my refrigerator. That's 45 years around the corner. Always be confying, Michael. Just a little name drop. Let's just say during the pandemic, David Tannis, the great chef and food writer, was coming to lunch on my porch because obviously we couldn't face one another. And I cooked him something from the Jelena book and he was absolutely thrilled. All right. I guess Michael and I'll just keep waiting for our invitation. Okay. Well, I just made the date cake with whiskey, caramel and ginger gelato and I would make it again. Why are you torturing us? <laughs> This is cruel. My last question, so you will stop torturing me. Jelena's just opened. Is there any other new restaurant coming down the road in 2023 that you're looking forward to opening? Or is there a place that you're also excited about? Yeah, it's a very hard left from Jelena. I'm very excited for Superiority Burger to finally open on Avenue A. And also on Avenue A opening, going to visit actually tomorrow is the new Roberta's restaurant, which I think is called Foul Witch. It's supposed to be like spooky Italian. Spooky Italian. I think it started as an art project. And aren't those the best restaurants? All right. We now know what your next report is going to be. We eagerly await your impressions. Excellent. Well, I will see you there. Thank you, Thank Christine. Thank you so much, Christine. You should go. So it's sister restaurant. Justa is a very important part of my Los Angeles tradition, my Los Angeles routine. I stay in Santa Monica. I start my day with like a 5 a.m. walk along the beach and then I walk all the way to Venice Beach and then go eat at Justa. It's so delicious. <laughs> Do you ever go to Justa? It's like the all day bakery. Yeah, I've been it's there, amazing. but you said that like, like a real Los Angeles. It's so delicious. Delicious. Okay, well, I'm famished. And I've already had two cinnamon croissants this morning. This does not bode well. Yeah, it's like, I think we've got to get an invitation over to Shea Mulkey. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm very envious. She also has a really good meat slicer, so I've heard. Anyway, moving on. That was a pretty strong recommendation on the restaurant front, Michael. But before we go off into this weekend, do you have anything else you could suggest? I do. If you happen to have seen the Critics' Choice Awards this week, you may have noticed Kate Blanchett gave a rather fiery acceptance speech where she called out what she sees as the patriarchal structure of award shows and how they often overlook performances. She mentioned in particular one by Andrea Riseborough in a film titled To Leslie, a little scene indie drama that had made 
barely $27,000 since a minuscule theatrical release last fall. So, following Kate's suggestion, I watched the film, and I have to say, she's right. It's a powerhouse raw, putting it all on the line performance by Reesboro, where she plays an alcoholic mother from West Texas whose life has become one long journey to rock bottom in the six years after she squandered a $190,000 lottery prize. It's raw, as I say, but she blows you away with her performance, one that's as full of heart as it is vulnerable. It's called To Leslie, and it's available on Apple TV as well as Amazon. And you, Ashley? Let's say that you have committed to a new fitness regime in January, except you have not actually done anything yet. Well, if you want to watch a great show about sports that perhaps might inspire you, I really enjoyed Breakpoint. Now, I will say that with the caveat, I don't think this is the best documentary ever, but because I love tennis and I love documentary and I love watching Netflix in any shape or form, I really enjoyed this. So it follows some of the beautiful people in the world of tennis, lots of attractive, talented, wildly accomplished athletes, and it shows just how boring their lives can actually be when they're not playing on the court. I kind of liked that element of reality that it added to a sport that is often so hyped up. And if you're looking for something to make you feel active, even if you're doing nothing at all, it's a great way to spend some hours in January. Breakpoint on Netflix. I like that now that Rafi Nadal has bounced out of the Australian Open, and maybe it's a way to sort of fill my calendar while I'm waiting for the inevitable triumph of Joko down there. So we'll see. That's a great one. Okay. Well, I was going to say on that note, Michael, I'd like to congratulate you. We've made it through an entire episode of Morning Meeting without talking about the British Royals. I'm so proud of us. I'm so proud. Yeah. We don't need to go from there. We might as well just end the show on a high note. Thank you all so much for joining us. Michael, please read us out. Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alexander Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Ashley Baker, Chris Garrett, Nathan King, Julie Vitale, and Ash Carter. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We'll be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe at Spotify or Apple Music, but most of all, thanks again for joining us.